Hey everyone, producer Steven here. Unfortunately, as you're going to hear in the first two minutes or so, Matt's mic had a couple issues on the live stream. He did change it out after the first two minutes. So if you're here at the beginning, just stick through it and you'll be able to hear the whole show normally. Thanks. Everybody, Matt Larkin here. We are rejoining the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast. It's back. It feels like it just went away, but it's already been five months. We're brought to you by our sponsor, BetMGM. And I'm here to dish out some fantasy advice to take some questions with help from producer Stephen Ellis. And we're going to dive right in. If you remember the format, maybe you're new to the pod, maybe you're not. But if you're not new to it, you know that we always start with pickups. So we're going to start the episode with... First of all, a shallow league pickup, and this is a crucial, crucial pick. This is the league win- winner, okay? This is a pickup. This is someone who's available in 53% of leagues. He's an absolute joke because this player could turn tide and win you your, your league. Someone who's available in week one. I drafted him in my league. Woohoo! It's Jesse Pugliarvi of the Edmonton Oilers. And, and I don't know what people are doing here in these 53% of leagues that don't have. He is playing with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, the two top players in fantasy hockey. He played 20 minutes in the first game of the season, had, had six shots on goal. And obviously, this is one for whom you have to have a reasonably short leash because we know for sure if, if PRV is going to stick on the top line. But I said this in my, this in my going into the season, and this isn't a lot of competition on the right wing in Edmonton, especially because Kyler Yamamoto regressed last year. So the job belongs to PRV. We know the pedigree was always there. Even last season, if you look at, look at this line, 15 goals, you know, it seemed relatively underwhelming in 55 games. But if your league counts hits and shots, the pro-rated pace there was, there was 20 goals. It was 150 hits, and that was only only playing minutes a night. Now you have him, have him playing 20 minutes a night on on a line, and you need to run. You need to. I, I'm not offended if you just stop listening to this podcast right now. Just go, go pick up Jesse Puljujarvi. We're live, we're live anyway. Come back, and you will not regret it. I have him in my league, and I'm just saying that one more time to flex. Uh, okay, so that is the shallow league up. Next up, we have, of course. The medium league pick Tyler Johnson, who's available in 72% leagues. And this is a situation where it's a situation about situation. So Johnson is just in a really nice setup at the moment. He's playing on the first line as the center. Someone who was playing in the bottom six in Tampa Bay last year gets to center Alex Debrinkit and Patrick Kane. It's such a 
fantasy-friendly situation. Johnson's also centering the top power play unit. So for that reason alone, you want to be starting him in, I think, 100% of leagues. You do be careful with this one because Johnson, at the stage of the career that he's in, it's not a, not a guarantee that he stays on this line. And I do think you have to watch out for Jonathan Taves, who's healthy now. Also for Kirk, who I think Chicago wants to be the long-term answer at number one center. So if Tyler Johnson gets removed from this role, he could be droppable immediately. Or while he's in the role now, if you're going to bet long-term on Kirby Dak, you should consider selling high on Tyler Johnson if you have him. But we're talking just picking him up. He should not be available in 72% of leagues, so go and get him, absolutely. Next up, we have a deep league pickup, and that's Owen Tippett of the Florida Panthers. And if you've listened to this show before, I always talk about pedigree. When someone who is in a good, good situation also has the pedigree, someone who was always, quote-unquote, supposed to be doing this, that's a player to play at. And Owen Tippett was a top-10 draft pick. He scored a ton of goals in Major Junior. He scored instant, instantly in NHL. So he's showing the signs of someone who's going to keep scoring at every level. That's something you always, always watch for. And he's already starting the season on Florida's second line, a very deep, deep and talented roster playing, playing with Johnny Rubidoux and Sam Bennett. So I already like the situation. And the Florida Panthers are just so, so deep. That I think you can, you can be pretty confident that wherever Tippett plays all season long, in that top nine, he's going to have quality line mates pretty much every night. And even last season, his stats were very modest as he was cutting his teeth in the NHL. But if your league counts hits and, and, and shots as well, well, his pace for 82 games was 157 shots, 108 hits. And he was only playing 11 minutes a night. If he's even playing 15 now and he's playing 82 games, you could have a player player who's 20 to 20 to 25 goals, maybe 200 shots, 200, maybe 150 hits. And that might even be even be more. So... I think there's quite a bit of upside for Owen Tip, considering he's available in 94% of leagues. Now we have our, we have our last category for pickups, the, the WTF category. And when I say WTF, it's just, why is this player available? It doesn't make any sense. That is Jeremy Swayman of Boston Bruins. So we know he's in a tandem with Linus Allmark. We know that whoever tends goal for the Boston Bruins in this current era, era is usually fantasy relevant, whether it was Tukarask, Yaroslav Halak, whether it was Swayman last year, even Dan Vlader later for a little bit. Just one in that situation because the Bruins are just so consistently good defensively, you always have really good rate stats if you're the Bruins goalie. So that alone makes Swayman interesting to me. And we know, know already that there's there's first for Swayman, a 50-50 split to start the year minus Allmark, which is strange because Allmark is owned in more leagues than Swayman. Allmark is owned in, I think, I have to have it down somewhere, it's 80% of Yahoo League's. Uh, Allmark is owned, where it's, it's only 58 for Jeremy Swayman, which makes no sense. Swayman has the pedigree to become Boston's long-term starting goalie. He outplayed Lies Allmark in the preseason, and we already know there's at least 50-50 split. So if you're betting on one or the other for the season, they're both going to be, be relevant. That, you know, Boston's playing, paying Linus Allmark a million dollars. He's not going to sit on the bench. They're both going to be relevant, but if you're making a bet... Swayman, I think, is the guy that's more likely to earn a 64-40. And if he does, top 10 goalie in fantasy. So it's crazy to me that he's available in so many leagues. He should be picked up immediately as well. Now let's go to eight of the week. Week of fantasy. And I call this one have an open mind. And this is something I've learned the hard way over the years. Especially, especially someone who works for the hockey news, has worked in the industry for uh, a decade. It's crazy. Next week, I think, will be my 10-year anniversary with the hockey news. I've, I'm someone who has inherent biases because I'm, I'm, I've heard the sport for a long time. I know a lot about players even compared to my, my other league mates. And it actually hurts me sometimes because I'm so locked into certain opinions of players, especially non-fantasy opinions, that you're not willing to have an open mind. And if somebody's off to, off to a hot start, sort of write it off and off. No, no, I know this player is. It's not going to last. 
Well, that's sort of a lazy approach because sometimes you have to look into the deeper numbers and you have to look, to look into dance numbers, whether you're a stat if you're willing to go to those kind of sites, sites evolving your natural stat trick trick. What's really good a bit about those, same, same thing for fantasy, fantasy baseball. They can be predict predictive. They can tell you if a hot starting player might actually not be on a hot streak, hot streak doing something that's sustainable. And this is the time of, year, time of year where it's sort of just murkier the waters. waters. We don't know who are going to be the true breakout players of the year. So you, you don't want to have to have tunnel vision. You don't want to write off a guy who, like, for example, Tyler Johnson. You don't want to just assume he's going to sustain it. You pick him up and then you can, you can look to the deeper number, numbers and see if he's doing doing something showing the way the way he's driving right, that's sustained. Sustain. This is why in a lot of leagues that, leagues that I've played, there's a GM who... Isn't a, isn't a huge fan that does really well because they don't have those built-in bias. They're willing to just adjust with the numbers and trust and trust the number rather than a player's reputation. So I would, I would just say in general this time of year, time of year keep in mind not, not every starting player is a sell high and not, not every really struggling struggling to buy low. Put the time in if you're, if you're a diehard player and look at advanced numbers. will be predictive. They'll tell you whether you, you can expect a trend trend to continue or not continue. That's the, the tip of the week. Stephen, I for you if you if you want to turn over the questions to me and we can start. Yeah, so this is something here where the, the having the open mind and not having the biases of, of the old days and stuff. It's like every time I go into a fantasy draft and it's like Jonathan Taze doesn't get drafted or Radulov or Borchek, guys like that. It doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel right. It feels like they should be going pretty pretty early on just because of what you know about the player. Um, so it's kind of tough, but uh, I guess. Uh, I guess you just kind of have to, and uh, it's it's and kind of the change in the guard. There will be a point where Cindy Crosby's not exactly a good fantasy pick anymore, and uh, it's going to be kind of weird, like when Corey Perry and Ryan Getzloff in Anaheim. If you're those guys were always huge fantasy players, all of a sudden they stop becoming that. So they are like what they are. All right. So first question of the week is from the ramification: Who is more likely to start for Florida, Spencer Knight or Sergey Bobrovsky? That's right. And before I answer, Stephen, how do I sound right now? We're, we're, we're experimenting with some different mics. Do I sound better or worse? You're, 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 not, you're not echoing, echoing. Okay. but I'm echoing, echoing for some reason. Something. You might need to turn your volume down a little bit on your computer, yeah. but otherwise, yeah. yeah. Okay, good to know. Well, okay, so I'll give you some background. This question also includes the hashtag asking for a friend. Uh, this is someone who's aware of a controversy that happened in my own league in which we tried to change our rules to prevent streaming where people can draft entire teams worth of goalies but you're allowed to come in and snake another guy's goalie if you want to go with that and someone you know i drafted spencer knight someone else drafted sergey Bobrovsky. he was actually my hockey news colleague brian costello and we had a stalemate over who was going to give give in and give the other guy the goalie to give him the tandem so this is sort of a subtle dig because i was angry at getting snaked in our league but it actually is a good question, which is why I'm including it in the podcast. So thank you, Rami. Uh, Spencer Knight or Sergey Bobrovsky? Okay, so if we're looking in the short term right now, who's the more valuable fantasy goaltender? It's probably Sergey Bobrovsky. With the $10 million cap hit, the Panthers are going to keep giving him chances for now. We know that Coach Joel Quenville has indicated that Bobrovsky is going to get the first sort of crack at being starter. Spencer Knight, still a kid, still qualifies for the Calder Trophy. He's going to be learning. That said, if we're betting on who's going to have the job, who did Florida turn to in elimination games last year, late in the playoffs with their backs to the wall? It was not Sergey Bobrovsky. It was Spencer Knight, the rookie. They trust this kid. He's the best goaltending prospect in the world. Uh, and I think it's only a matter of time before the job is his. Even right now, he's fantasy relevant. So even if you're assuming Bobrovsky is going to keep the job, it's not going to be a huge chunk of the pie. It might be 60-40 or 65-35. But my prediction is that 
by the All-Star break at worst, the job has shifted to Spencer Knight, and by the season's end, he is the starter, which would make him an extremely valuable player. Keep your league, of course, at Spencer Knight is the answer. Redraft league, I'd say right now, if you're really playing in the short term, okay, fine, it's Bobrovsky. But if you're looking at season-long value, I'm going to say Spencer Knight. All right, All next right. question comes from, comes from Cheating Heel. Heel. How would you How rank you the following players in terms of most points a season? Points. Trevor Zegers, Alexis Lafreniere, Lucas Raymond, Jack Hughes, and Cole Sillinger. Okay, so I'm going to start with Trevor Zegers. Uh, just it, it's a it's a matter of his situation in Anaheim. The Ducks just need him. Their power play has been so bad. Ryan Getzlaff is sort of aging out of being a true top six forward. So we know that Zegers is entrenched. He's playing the top six role all season long. He's playing power play. All of those situations that you want that are good for fantasy goodies. Uh, I would say Jack Hughes next. We know that his underlying numbers, his metrics, suggest that he was pretty unlucky last year, so I do think a breakout's coming. It's going to happen this year. We saw that with Nathan McKinnon. People forget, after two or three seasons, Nathan McKinnon was trending toward being somewhat of a bust, and then all of a sudden it clicked for him. So it's not too late for Jack Hughes at all to deliver on his considerable prospect hype. Uh, after that, I'm going to say Alexi Lafreniere. I think he is finding himself in an interesting uh, situation line-wise. And th throughout the preseason, he was playing right wing on a line with Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad, which sounds great in terms of just the opportunity. Because it's funny, you, it was assumed that there was going to be a battle between Kreider and Lafreniere for the second line left wing spot. Panarin obviously is the main left winger on the team. But the fact that the two of them are now united on what I guess is the Rangers' quote-unquote first line, they have kind of two first lines. But that's great for Chris Kreider's fantasy value and Alexi Lafreniere's fantasy value. So I like the situation he's in. The Rangers are putting him in position to succeed. Uh, I'm, going, I'm going to say uh, Lucas Raymond would be next. Uh, I love the fact that he made the wings. If you listen to our main podcast this week, I'm extremely bullish on Lucas Raymond. I think he's going to be a special player. He's already getting looks on the first line with Dylan Larkin. The only thing is just, in general, the overall talent on the Wings roster, there's not a ton of help. So if Raymond gets moved around to a different line, it kind of lowers his ceiling for now. Uh, and then Cole Sillinger I put last. I, I drafted him in my league uh, last week, but I ended up dropping him because uh, he did make the Blue Jackets, but he's already been demoted off that first line. So what you wanted from Cole Sillinger is to be playing with Patrick Laine and Jacob Voracek. Right now he's not. Uh, long term, of course, Cole Sillinger, first round pick, he has great potential. But right now, that Blue Jackets team does not look very good. So if you're not on the first line, then I'm kind of staying away. All right. Just want to give a quick shout out to the Puerto Rican women's hockey team that it's about to play their first ever hockey game. Uh, they're playing in the Amerigal Latham Cup. Uh, that's a tournament that's got a bunch of teams from North America and South America and then a couple other teams from around the world. Uh, that's a big moment for a team that uh, you actually helped edit my article about uh, Puerto Rico two years ago, but how they had to basically go through hurricanes and uh, governments who had no interest in hockey just to play on the men's side. And now their women's teams out here. So pretty cool for them. Ranton Raven asks, do you prefer a workhorse goalie on a weaker team like Jacob Markstrom or a split start goalie on a stronger team like Anderson or Mrazek, for example? Yeah, I, I think uh, it depends entirely on your league configuration. So if you're in a league that puts more weight to volume categories like saves and wins and Shutouts, you obviously want that workhorse, and Markstrom's a perfect example. The goalie's going to play as much as anyone in the league. Connor Hellebuck is probably the number one workhorse goalie. So that is an obvious answer if, if your league is configured that way. But if your league awards equal points or more points 
for the rate stats, goals against average, save percentage, then I think you're much better off going going with a, just a really good goaltender who maybe is part of the platoon but on a good team. So we're looking at Jeremy Swayman and Linus Elmark would be a great example. I think the best tandem in the league, if you're looking at the totality of, of both of them, it's probably Semyon Varlamov and Ilya Sorokin with the New York Islanders. So it, I, I'd say if, if your stat categories are weighted more toward goals against average and save percentage and you want those platoon guys that are just in good situations, and maybe you're in a league configuration that's about equal, that has, you know, equal number of categories for rate stats and volume stats. In that case, I think the best configuration is you get one workhorse, so let's say a Hellebuck, then maybe someone like an Allmark or, or, or a Jeremy Swayman, a Spencer Knight, someone who is going to have good rate stats and also has the upside to win the job. And then you're sitting pretty because then you have two good goalies who are also workhorses. So Ilya Sorokin would be another great example for that. All right, next question comes from Eamon Devlin. Who are some of the surprise players to make the opening night roster that you have your eyes on? The one that's really stood out to me and already had two points in his debut is Mason McTavish with the Anaheim Ducks. I didn't think that McTavish was going to jump right to the NHL. Uh, and that was sort of one of the, the things people talked about at the 2021 draft class. People thought that maybe no one, no one from that class was going to go right to the league, to the NHL. Cole Stillinger did it as well. We know Owen Power, of course, went back to Michigan. Uh, McTavish is very interesting. He's got a lot of hard work to his game, but he also has talent. And the Ducks, it's an interesting depth chart because they do need the help. So I don't think it's unheard of to imagine that he could stick. Uh, obviously, he could just be part of a nine-game trial and go back to Major Junior, but he's someone who warrants a pickup right now while he's already showing something for sure. And I didn't think that he was going to make the team. If you asked me a month or two ago, I, I wouldn't have expected McTavish to make it. The other one is Seth Jarvis in Carolina, someone who, again, first-round pedigree as well. And he has lit up Major Junior. He had a, a bit of a cup of coffee in the AHL last year when everything was wonky because the AHL was playing games before Major Junior teams were. So he got to play there a little bit, even though he was Major Junior age. He didn't look out of place at all. He was lighting it up. So he's made the Carolina Hurricanes. We don't know where he's going to play in that lineup. If he ends up rising up the lineup, they put him on the wing, maybe he gets to play on a scoring line, then it's a very exciting proposition. So you have to be careful, though, with Jarvis. We don't know where he's going to play, um, but the upside is still significant. So, again, kind of like McTavish, if you have the bench space and you can just have the ability to sash someone, there's a lot of upside, I think, with both players. So I would be looking at them, and I didn't expect either guy to make the team. McTavish, just because he's so young, Jarvis, because I thought the Carolina depth chart was just going to be too crowded for him. All right, this next question's a short one from Brett, Erickson Eck, or Josh Norris. Yeah, it's interesting. If you asked me a month ago, I would have said Josh Norris. And the answer probably would have been pretty easy. I'd say, oh, he's playing with Brady Kachuk and Drake Batherson. He had a great rookie season, and he's got the pedigree. He was the AHL Rookie of the Year the season before. But now things have changed a little bit in Ottawa. We have Brady Kachuk not on the team yet. Tim Stutzla playing on the first line. It's still a really nice setup for Josh Norris, but it's not quite... I'd say not quite as, as confidence-inspiring as it would have been with Brady Kachuk there, just because we don't know yet how big of a leap Tim Stutzla is going to take in Season 2. And the, the thing is, is Joel Erickson X situation has also changed. His situation has changed for the better. He's been getting looks throughout the preseason, or he did, with Kirill Kaprizov, Kaprizov, I should say, on that first line. So Erickson X is more of the, you know, he was fourth in the Selkie Trophy vote, and you're, you're thinking of him as more of a two-way player, but now he's getting an opportunity on the Wilds' top scoring line with an elite young player, and that raises his scoring ceiling a lot. So if you're trying to break the tie between the two of them, I think it depends on your scoring system. I like both. I'm bullish on both. 
If your league counts hits and or shots, I think Eric Sinek is actually your guy now. He generates a lot of shots and a lot of hits. He was 100 plus hits in the shortened season last year. So if you're going with him, you're going to get hits and shots and that's the floor, regardless of what line he's playing on. As a bonus, he's now playing with Kaprizov. If your league is more just points heavy, your traditional goals assists, I'd say Josh Norris, because I think in terms of raw scoring ability, Josh Norris is a better player than Eric Sinek. So Eric Sinek better for defense and the, the extra miscellaneous stat categories. Better overall offense, I'd say Josh Norris. All right, next question comes from Austin Gagne. Which rookies would you be rostering this year? Seems like a good crop. Caulfield, Zegers, Knight, etc. Yeah, I was thinking about this one. So it, it is a pretty broad question. It's hard for me to say, here's a big list of rookies and just fire off rookie names. So I think the better way to answer it is, is to sort of reveal what my philosophy is when I'm looking at rookies. So to me, you want the combination of pedigree and opportunity. So I can go back to a couple examples I've used. So, you know, Seth Jarvis, that's pedigrees there, opportunity we don't know. Same with Cole Sillinger. Trevor Zegers, Cole Caulfield, Pedigree, yes, and opportunity. Same with Owen Tippett, who I mentioned before. Um, Owen Tippett's not rookie, but Caulfield and Zegers, I think, are a good example of, of guys that you know they're big-time prospects, two of the best prospects in the game, but they're also on teams that are going to put them in prime scoring situations. So those are the type of rookies I think you have to look at. Um, but overall, I often, you know, I, I obviously I will draft rookies on my team, but I also like to look at post-hype sleepers, players that have... Uh, significant draft pedigree came up as big prospects maybe they'd be in the league for a year or two or they've cut their teeth in the AHL they're more likely to stick with their teams and they've matured a little bit they're more physically strong so as an example you know I drafted Tim Stutzel this year I also drafted Jordan Kyrie of the St. Louis Blues because he showed a lot in limited duty last year didn't play very many minutes now he's playing on the top line and to me that's a much safer bet than grabbing a Mason McTavish, for example. I think I'd rather go for a Jordan Cairo because you know he's sticking with the Blues. He's earned his spot now. He's put in a good half season. So that's that's sort of a general philosophical answer rather than just me giving you a huge long list of rookies, which I don't know how helpful that is. All righty. Uh, Ty Pat says, Rank Anderson, Allen, Demko, and Markstrom uh, one to four as goalies. This one I, uh, I think is actually pretty easy. Just like I see very distinct demarcations between each goaltender. So for me, Markstrom's number one because he's a volume king, which you in most leagues you really want for a goaltender. He's also playing on a team that plays really good defense. And I don't know if everyone is aware of how much Calgary improved defensively once Daryl Sutter took over. I surprised myself. I was writing a story on the Flames because I noticed that they were just 500 once Sutter took over. But if you looked underneath the hood, their defensive play, they actually were the second best team in the NHL in terms of limiting chances, high danger, all that kind of stuff. They were the second best defensive team in the league from the moment Daryl Sider took over. So Markstrom's going to have, I think, a good D playing in front of him, which should help in terms of the quality of chances that are going to be against him. That theoretically should drive up his save percentage. And he's all, he also is already in a, in a volume-heavy role. So I think he checks every box you want for a goaltender. He's number one. Number two, I think, is clearly Thatcher Demko. His upside is tremendous. His upside is Vezina Trophy. He was always coming up from Boston College. He was going to be a mega prospect. He had the size, the swagger. So him emerging as a star, it's not a fluke. It's what he was always supposed to do, what he was always projected to do. It's more a matter of him. It's just, can the team around him protect him enough? Because the Vancouver Canucks have been a, quite a bad defensive team in the last several seasons. So you have to hope that they've improved enough, that they can give him some 
lower quality looks to stop rather than him just getting peppered. But either way, he's in a situation where he's obviously going to be in the strong side of the split with Yaroslav Halak, and he has major star potential. He could be, I think the ceiling for Demko, if the defense improves around him, could be top three fantasy goalie as early as this year. And even the floor, I still think, is relatively high because he's going to play a lot. So I like Demko number two. Uh, Frederick Anderson, to me, clearly number three on that list. He's playing for a team that has been very good defensively in the Rod Brindamore era. Uh, I think he is going to get the first shot over on Antiranta to start. So it's a decent situation for Anderson to bounce back. Uh, he's still number three, though, because there is a legitimate threat. Ranta's close enough to Anderson in, in talent. I think that if Anderson falters early on, Ranta outplays him, they could easily switch, and then Ranta is, is the starter for the rest of the season. So you have to be a little careful there. And then Jake Allen is clearly four for me on that list because we don't know how long he's going to hold this starting job. Is it possible that Carey Price's situation keeps him out for the year? Yes. But is it also possible Carey Price is back in a few weeks? Also, yes. So I don't think you want to put all your eggs in the Jake Allen basket unless you are a Carey Price owner, in which case I think you're totally fine with Jake Allen. Nailed it there, I think. All right, next question. It's a bit of a longer one. I can't. I'll see it on the screen. Uh, Ryan says, I'm in a 13-cat keeper head-to-head, -head, and I drafted McDavid. I want Nate McKinnon. Would be a fair trade if it includes draft picks. I want to set up for next year as well. Or would that be... Or what would be a creative return if I wanted Nate and other players? Okay. So, Ryan, I'm hoping I'm answering this correct question correctly. I assume you mean that you're going to be trading McDavid as part of this deal, and you're trying to say, what's a fair trade if I'm giving up McDavid? So, even though uh, I rank McDavid as the number one player in fantasy and McKinnon number three, I think it's important to know there is significant gap between one and three because McDavid is that far ahead of the pack. And if you look in the last three seasons combined... They played almost the exact same number of games, 198 for McDavid, 199 for McKinnon. And McDavid has outscored McKinnon by 61 points. That's more than 20 points a season. And that's the first player and the third player on the board. That tells you just how good McDavid is. He's doing things that we have not seen done in terms of point scoring since Gretzky Lemieux. That's who he's on par with relative to error. He's not as far ahead. But last year, in terms of how quickly he got to 100 points, he was the fastest in 25 years to do it. So... You have to make sure you get a significant return for McDavid. If you're getting McKinnon coming the other way, you've got to ask for a first-round pick as well, or maybe a top-20 defenseman, or a top-15 goaltender, maybe two of those things. But I would not let go of McDavid quickly, because even though you know your opposing gym might say, oh, come on, the first pick for the third pick in our draft, they're so close. In real life, maybe they are, because McKinnon has a great overall impact on the game. But if we're talking just fantasy, McDavid's in a class of zone, so make sure you get King's Ransom. Maybe a future tip for this show, for your, your tip at the beginning, is um, pick up players that play Buffalo a lot. Because when you're looking at here, it's you're looking at Craig Anderson starting in net tonight. Oh, man, that's just scary. So It's funny. Well, it's, I've done it in fantasy football. I basically just follow Zach Wilson and the New York Jets around and pick up whatever defense is playing them. And I just... I just terrorize Zach Wilson because it gives you great fantasy points. Kind of a sad that. situation there. All right, Dry Skydle. I like that name. I think that's Leon Dry Skydle's uh, Pokemon alter ego. Who is one guy most undervalued that you could see coming up big this year? Okay, well, I, I mentioned Yessi Pugliarvi already. I think he has the greatest discrepancy between current value and fantasy and ceiling. But I'll give you another example. Um, Oliver Ekman-Larsen. 
and again, this is an example of, of when real life puts a stink on a guy who might still have value in fantasy. So the giant contract that Ekman Larson has obviously casts doubt on what he will do for the Vancouver Canucks. But again, that doesn't matter in, unless you're playing in a salary cap league that takes guys' real life salaries. I know those exist. In that situation, okay, fine. Oliver Ekman Larson might not be a guy you want to have on your team. But right now, I, I think there is some sneaky value. If you look at what he did last year, I prorated his stats when I was doing my top 250 fantasy rankings. And his prorated stat line for 82 games was 43 points, 148 shots, 128 hits. And that was that was Oliver Ekman Larson hitting rock bottom. That's still quite valuable. That would be good enough to be a number two defenseman in leagues that count hits and shots and points. And to me, that's his floor. Now he's going to the most talented team he's ever played for easily, if we're talking about fantasy and offensive potential. He's never had this type of group of players around him in his career. And first game of the season, he played 23 minutes, 52 seconds. That's a great sign. They're going to use him a lot. He played on the power play. He scored a power play goal. He had four shots and three hits. So that's just one game. But it's showing exactly what I, I thought we were going to see, which was Oliver Ekman Larson playing a major role surrounded by good offensive players. So to me, he's very undervalued, just in fantasy. Steven, I think you're muted, my friend. I am muted, I'm yes. Muted, yes. Um, some reading man asks, how can I make defensemen more valuable in fantasy? They don't get a ton of points, so I kind of just overlook it, and that's something that I've always had an issue with in my own fantasy leagues. Yeah. Uh, this one I can help with because we did it in my league. And I know I, I always go back and I use my league as an example for everything, but we've worked at it for a long time. And I, I actually only play in this one league now because I think it's more exciting. It feels like it's higher stakes. If you can only, you know, if you screw up in your one league, then your your season's over, just like in real life. So, uh, but I, I do use it as, as examples for a lot of things because we've experimented over the years with different rules. And one thing we, we have done successfully is make defensemen very important. Um, I, I think... The main thing to do is to get shots, hits, blocks uh, into the mix because especially blocks, that's a stat that only defensemen can really accumulate. Like if you're a great forward, you might block 50 shots, but if you're an elite shot blocking defenseman, you might block 200 shots. So that gives you a category that you really need defensemen for. Uh, a lot of defensemen as well that are physical will get a lot of hits as well, hits in the hundreds, two hundreds. So it also brings sort of the idea of having a shutdown defenseman, it matters, which is pretty fun. It's like a team that could go all the way. It's like, oh, I had, you know, Adam Larson or Ryan McDonough, whoever you want to say, that, that, that is sort of more valuable in real life and then it sort of makes it so that they matter in fantasy, which is cool because you want to simulate, I think it's more fun if you, if you have a team that kind of feels like a real life team and you're like, oh, I need my, I need my defensive defenseman, I need my stay at home guys you know, to be sort of my role players and shut down the opposition. And then if you have hits and blocks, those guys actually matter. They become important in your league, which I think is fun. And if you add shots, you know, defensemen, they might not be great goal accumulators, but a lot of them are great shot accumulators. And so if you have a defenseman who's a big asset in shots and blocks, for example, that would be, you know, Alex Pietrangelo, super valuable. I was looking into our league, our rankings from last year, and Darnell Nurse, finished as the number 17 overall player in the whole league last year because he was such an asset in shots, hits, and blocks. He scored, I think, 16 goals as well. So to me, that shows you when Darnell Nurse is, is considered a top 17 player according to the rankings, apparently we have achieved that we've made defensemen valuable. So I'd say that's the best way to uh, make defensemen important in your league. I'm muting myself again. 
Um, next question comes from Ian, and this is uh, definitely uh, definitely a fantasy-related question. Would you rather appear in Harry Potter or Star Wars? And before you answer that, we actually had a, uh, on Game Tape with Tony Ferrari that recently went up this week. He asked Frank Nazar uh, III, one of the top prospects for the 2022 draft, um, if he'd rather be MCU and DC. Um, for some reason, he didn't say he wanted to be part of the Marvel side of things. I'd rather be wherever Spider-Man is, but that's just me personally. But anyways, your thoughts. Yeah, it's funny. DC's got Batman, so that alone is a reason to, to go DC. But Marvel, you have so much more variety. And I've just I've never been a Superman stan. I think Superman's the most boring superhero in the world. He's just too good at everything. And in the, the DC movie universe, they've somehow turned him into also dull. I don't know how they've managed to pull that off. They've done it as well. They made him emo, which is pretty sad because Batman already has that corner covered. Um, so back to the question. Ian Jolie... He beats the system by asking a question that I guess is technically fantasy. Harry Potter or Star Wars? Uh, I would say for, if I was an actor, you know, Harry Potter sounds like it was a better experience. The actors got really close to each other, I guess, and they had, a, I think, from what I understand, a lot of fun filming it over the years. But I'm more of a Star Wars guy, and I think you're more baked into pop culture lore if you are in uh, Star Wars content. Hopefully not uh, one directed by George, George Lucas. Maybe Mandalorian or something would be more fun these days, but... Uh, I, I would say Star Wars would be my answer. Uh, so, Stephen, we have finished all the questions that we got pre-submitted. Are there any other live submissions that have come through? If we have time, we can tackle them. Well, it's funny. Someone actually asked, like, do is there any fantasy value in the Buffalo Sabres goaltenders this year? And I think the answer is pretty clear. I would say only if your league counts saves and shots. Some leagues are just silly and they give you points for just getting shots against, which is odd, but if you have a league that counts those categories, uh, yeah, then Buffalo Sabres goalies could be useful because they're probably going to get a lot of shots against, and then by virtue of just the puck flying at them a lot, they will accumulate saves. But if your league doesn't count those categories, then no, stay far away from the Buffalo goalies. See, that's a thing. When you look at it, it's almost like actually doing shots and saves and stuff like that is valuable in things like the world juniors and i've been in world junior things where it gives value to picking a goalie from austria like sebastian renishitz where he's going out there and making 45 50 saves a game uh that's huge for your fantasy team but uh, otherwise yeah that's not really much value in picking buffalo sabers but that's it it's time for your starting lineup okay and and one thing i'll say too in my opinion at least is it's good if you give value to less heralded players but i always think it's like you want to give value to guys who are playing well if your system is giving value to guys who are not playing well then your system is broken so like you know the example i use with blocks well it's like if you're if you're a, a defenseman who's a good shutdown guy in real life you're throwing a lot of hits and blocks maybe you're providing something to your team but if you're just a goalie who's just getting hit by the puck a lot and you're giving up five goals if he's if he becomes valuable to your pool that's a weird pool it's like i once played in a football pool where the kickers we're scoring as many points in the quarterback as the quarterbacks. And I was trying. I was like, guys, this is this, this league is horribly broken. Your kickers are getting as many points as their quarterbacks. That's when you know the system is broken. Okay, so we're going to fit with the starting lineup. Uh, I encourage anyone who wants to challenge me with some other weird categories. It can be literally anything, anything that's appropriate, uh, and I'll answer it. The weirder the better in my opinion, but I started with one that's pretty simple. Just the best TV I watched this offseason. So I excluded anything that I'd already seen. So, you know, I, I rewatched season two of Succession. That doesn't count. Uh, but best TV I watched this offseason while waiting for hockey to come back. 
we have number one, Squid Game. It's a cultural phenomenon. It's a lot of fun. It's extremely suspenseful. I find myself putting in my you know, wondering which games I would do well at, which games I'd struggle at. We discussed it already on our main podcast. Number two, Hacks. That's a show I actually had not heard of until I saw it won a lot of Emmys. Uh, it's, a, it's, I think, just a really funny and poignant comedy. And it's the best representation I've seen of showing the perspectives between uh, boomers and Gen Z and, and how they view each other. And it's really sympathetic to both sides. Great comedy. Uh, the Chestnut Man. It's Danish. I watched that, I binged it last week. It's from the same people who did the original version of The Killing. If you like kind of dark murder mysteries, kind of Silence of the Lambs or Seven type of feel, it's really good, very riveting, and not too long. When a, when a murder mystery goes on to, too long, you, you're forced to give the viewer too many red herrings, and that can actually kill the suspense. But it's six episodes, it's tight, and it's very good. Uh, Wentworth, I'd never seen it before. It's a show about a women's prison in Australia. To me, it's what... Uh, what I thought Orange is the New Black was going to become, I thought Orange is the New Black became so comedic that it almost turned silly and kind of made a joke of itself in its later seasons, but Wentworth so far, very intense. I only watched the first season so far, loved it. Uh, Untold, the Netflix documentary series, uh, each week they're showing a different sports doc, whether it's The Malice of the Palace or Christy Martin. I'm sure, hockey fans, you've seen the Danbury Trashers episode, which was phenomenal. I did interv interview last week AJ Galante, the GM of that team, so watch for it. Look for the interview. It's on our Hockey News website right now. And, of course, Ted Lasso. Uh, it's sort of a lightning rod of a show because it's so different. It's so old school in its values in terms of just being consistently happy. But to me, even though you could pick it apart, sure, maybe season two wasn't as good as season one, it's almost, ironically, by being so traditional, it's actually experimental and, and uh, it's going, going against the grain. And that makes it unique. I think it's one of the more unique shows on TV because it dares to do things like devote an entire episode to Christmas or take one character and send him through an odyssey through various clubs and you're burning a whole episode, but why not? It just it pushes the envelope in that way, and it's fun. So that's the starting lineup. Best TV I watched this summer. And Steven has one more comment. Uh, it looks like Brady Kachuk is going to be signing with Ottawa today. Uh, he uh, he put out a tweet saying, and here we go from Batman. And uh, it's it uh, looks like it's going to be a seven-year deal. Okay, huge. Great news for the Ottawa Center. Seven-year deal, I'm going to assume it's, what, eight, at least $8 million a year, if not nine. And Don't know yet. If so, if you want, so to go back to the Josh Norris question, maybe you now break the tie by going back to Josh Norris and you know Brady Kachuk is going to be back. So we'll end the podcast on that note. Thank you, everyone, for the questions. I'll be back every second week during the season to tackle your fantasy questions. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for watching live, and thank you for listening. Honey, honey, won't you buy my disease? There's a thousand different problems that feed into me. I'm aggressive, yes, I guess. I'm a bit of a bug, but so what?